When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com here with Stephen Means, also from Cleveland.com. This is our Friday recruiting feature here on Buckeye Talk. And I don't know that we decided on a name, but we got some really good options from those of you, our tech subscribers, sending us options in last week I think my favorite one was uh, BFFs Buckeye football futures Buckeye futures Friday something like that something along those lines I think that might be the winner we haven't exactly whittled down how which words will go in which order but I I like that I think that fits well it's snappy yeah the the acronym works you know it's just because it's it's a little play on words and it's, it's interesting and it's like welcome to the Buckeye talk BFF pod because there's no Doug it's just us two so, you know, <laughs> you know, he is, he's the third wheel that gets in and interrupts our, yeah. our lifetime friendship that before we even knew each other, uh, we had this connection yeah. over Ohio state football recruiting, obviously, uh, no, just kidding. But yeah, so I think that's what we're going to do. And this is going to be our, our staple every Friday and it's not going to always be, you know, sometimes we'll have news to talk about. Sometimes there will have just been a commitment or there will have just been a decommitment or there will have just been some something somewhere that affects Ohio State recruiting, we'll need to talk about that. But very often, it'll be kind of like what we did last week and then what we're going to do this week, where it's a little bit of a broader topic. And this week, we want to talk about a dynamic that we've brought up on the pod before and in things we've written before. And that's this idea of Ohio State kind of setting up camp at in some region or in some other state that's vulnerable for a, a temporary period of time, kind of plundering resources, and then getting out of town when that state or that program or whatever kind of corrects things. And it's come up the most in our conversations about two states in particular. So we'll start there and we're going to kind of set the groundwork here by, by talking about what Ohio State has done in both California and Texas over the last five, six years and why both of those situations, I guess that's maybe the best way to start. It's that both of those situations seem like they might be trending towards a, a direction where Ohio State might have a harder time pulling out some of those same recruits because of some repairs that they're making, programs are making in those states. And now Ohio State might have to look somewhere else. Is there somewhere else Ohio State could go that might be talent rich that they could grab some guys out of? 
So let's start, or I, like I said, I wanted to look at California and Texas first to kind of set the groundwork because that's, that's, I think, what lays the foundation of this discussion. And in California, the topic starts, I think, with USC. They are the you know, flagship football program of that state. There are other programs in that state that have been good for a time at football. I guess Stanford jumps out at you maybe most prominently in recent years. UCLA has a football history, but not to the level of USC. They've always kind of been that second team down there. USC since Pete Carroll. So obviously there was a time where USC was the gold standard in college football almost for like a decade. I mean, a long stretch on a Pete Carroll and winning national championships, Heisman Trophy winners, uh, some of the great games in college football history of the last 50 years or ever were, were played involving USC, um, national championship caliber games. Since Pete Carroll left, USC is 91 and 46. So that's a 664 winning percentage. And in the recruiting rankings, they were going along okay under Clay Helton for a little while. Uh, they start the start of it. They were fourth in the nation in 2017, fourth in the nation in 2018. And then things started to kind of to, to drop off. 20th in 2019, and then they cratered in 2020 all the way down to 64th. And around those same times, it's not like – there's a big difference between California and Texas, right, as far as Ohio State's presence there. Because in Texas, it's been consistent. Like every year, they're getting guys out of Texas. California, it's been – a little bit more, I don't know if you'd say hit or miss, but just it's been more precise. Uh, they get White Davis in 2017. They get Chris Olave in 2018. Uh, but again, Chris Olave at the time was not a national recruit. Was we, we all know the story there of how that was something that Ohio State kind of backed into almost to get him to come. And then 2020, obviously, C.J. Stroud and Court Williams, another guy who was um, he's a top 200 recruit but wasn't like a blue chip guy. So they're, they're kind of making surgical strikes in California. But at the same time, getting important guys. And I think you could make some connection there. Even though it wasn't necessarily plundering California, it's been an important state for Ohio State to have a presence, not just because of the guys are getting there, I would argue, Stephen, but also because I think when you do things in California, it resonates all the way up and down the West Coast. With California, it didn't just seem like it was only Ohio State who was – taking advantage of that that's part of the problem and you just named off a lot of guys who if they were playing at usc right now i mean imagine what usc's records would be every single year but you start with that quarterback situation you have bryce young you had dj uyungle and tj stroud those were the three top quarterbacks in the 2020 recruiting class all of them from california all of them know each other pretty well and they end up at the top three programs in the country bryce young to alabama dj to clemson and cj stroud to ohio state and with the way it seems things seem to be trending from the outside looking in those are going to be all three of those guys are going to be the starting quarterbacks next season at their respective schools cj stroud obviously in a little bit more of a battle than those other two are but i think with, with Cal yeah you're right it's it's only nine guys Ever in the in the in the modern era of recruiting that Ohio State's ever pulled out of there, it's just the most recent ones have been so loud, and just because of their success rate, that those those are first round draft picks, and then C.J. Stroud, who I mean, given Ryan Day's history here as a quarterback developer, is probably whoever the starting quarterback is for Ohio State's probably going to be a first rounder as well. So, with Calif it's it's a little easier to say with USC than maybe Texas. If you just lock your state down, you'll be one of the best teams in the country, and they've started to do that. When you look at guys like Damani Jackson, Corey Foreman, the number one player in the 2021 recruiting class, he flips in from Clemson. I mean, I don't know if anybody saw that one coming. Uh, it, whether he stayed committed to Clemson or not, I don't know if anybody, everybody, anybody in the world was thinking uh, when he committed to Clemson, oh, he's good. if he flips from Clemson, it's to go to USC. You probably thought he would go to another power. Damani Jackson, for a long time, was favored to Ohio State, especially after a run of social media tweets, which made it, and after 
a lot of people talked to him. He was really high on Ohio State. He understands the the pedigree that Kerry Combs had built there, and he saw Jeff Okuda is probably a prime example for him, who was also the number one corner in his recruiting class, a top ten player in the country, who developed into the number three pick in the NFL draft. That's prime proof of what of what Ohio State can do for you, as long as it's a good secondary coach, obviously. But that's what that's what Ohio State can do for you when you're a five star corner. He decides to stay home, which was. I don't know. It it wasn't as big of a surprise as Corey Foreman, but it is interesting to see, okay, Clay Helton starting to lock some things down here. We'll see if he can continue this trend. And that's the difference to me between California and Texas right now is I feel like Ohio State maybe had already started to drift away from California a little bit. Um, that There was that, like I said, there was a, a brief period. And without Chris Olave in there, I think it looks – it's even – less distinct that Ohio State really even had a presence there, right? That would that would have only been three guys over a four-year period, and and one of them was White Davis, who had an Ohio connection. And so it it, it wasn't as significant. And Clay Helton, 10 and 3, 11 and 3 his first two years, and then the dip, right? Five and seven. Then a little bit of a bounce back to eight and five. And that's right around that time where the, the recruiting was cratering too. And then five and one last season, like they bounced back and had a pretty solid year last year. So already on the field, you can see them trending in the right direction. And then after that year where they finished 64th and I didn't look, but that might've been dead last in the pack 12 as far as recruiting, but, or it was close 2021. They were eighth, And in 2022 already, they have four commits and they have a five star and two, four stars. So they're already 10th and they, they're setting a good foundation for 2022. It seems like, Again, Ohio State, the combination of Ohio State being very surgical with what they do in California and USC turning things around on the field a little bit, that I think was important there because it seemed like for a minute Ohio State might be able to expand its presence there both by what it had already done and the fact that they weren't winning. But now if Clay Helton starts winning, if there starts to be some stability under Clay Helton, by which I mean you don't go into every recruiting cycle wondering if the guy's going to be fired at the end of the next season – then I think that gives them some footing. And we're already seeing it. You're talking about the guys they're getting. Like, they're already bringing in difference-making guys. And it, it seems to be trending in a, a direction for – I'm not saying Ohio State can't ever get somebody there, and I think they have to kind of keep looking out there. If you're a national program and the, the Corey Foremans and uh, C.J. Strouds of the world are out there, you have to be in on them, I think. But I think it, it becomes a place where – it might get tougher in a way. It might get tougher to get the Court Williamses and Chris Olaves out of there. Yeah, to, to that point, they've only offered seven guys in the 2022 recruiting class, and two of those guys might be a package deal, which we can get into later on. But and then obviously, Damani Jackson's the, the third highest high-rated guy who is, has a legitimate who had a legitimate chance of being a Buckeye at one point. Outside of that, it is maybe a little bit more surgical. It's when you need to go get a Wyatt Davis or you need to go get a C.J. Stroud and if you're going out there to find a quarterback, because there's a lot of good quarterbacks in California, and you just so happen to stump like what they were doing with Chris Olave, you just happen to stumble into a Chris Olave because you're going out there to check on Jack Tuttle. It'll probably be more like that, which is fine. There's it's Ohio State's a national brand. They'll get some California guys. I just I don't know if Clay Helton's going to lock his state down. You're just not going to see teams coming there and raided like they have for the past four or five cycles here. And and I, I want to stress again the importance of the Ohio connection. We talk about that so much. It's why someone like Desan McCullough, who is a, a Kansas guy, is committed to Ohio State. Indiana I guy you, now. Yeah, and, and we're about to be an Indiana guy, but but has the Ohio roots. You know, other guy, you can point to other guys who around the country who have come from seemingly remote states, but there's a lot of times some kind of Ohio connection there. We've talked about that before. I think if that dynamic still exists in California in future years, or again, it's one of these guys like C.J. Stroud 
who is a, a blue chip national recruit and Ohio State can sell them, whether that's as a running back, a receiver, a defensive back, a defensive end. I think that's still that dynamic is still going to be there. I don't think the California pipeline dries up completely, but I think USC is sort of fortifying things. So Texas, though, is a is a different animal in so many ways. Um, number one, Ohio State has been much more active in Texas than in California as far as actually landing recruits. I went back to 2017. That, that, that amazing 2017 recruiting class was built in a, in a significant way on Texas. You get Jeff Okuda out of there. You get Baron Browning out of there. You get J.K. Dobbins out of there. You even get Elijah Gardner out of there farther down the list. You know, we talk about Ohio State going after top 100 guys. This tells you a little bit something about the, the, the depth of talent in Texas. Elijah Gardner was not a top 100 player in the state of Texas. So that, that tells you just the, the significance of – the, the depth of talent there is there every year. In 2018, to get Matthew Baldwin, obviously that doesn't work out, but they're still going down there to get a guy that at the time they thought could have been a, a, a quarterback of the future for them. 2019, Garrett Wilson. 2020, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Ryan Watts. I forget that Ryan Watts was not even a top 200 guy. The way that mm-hmm. they talk about him at Ohio State definitely surpasses his um, recruiting hype or whatever. I'm, I'm intrigued by what he could do as early as this fall. 2021, Donovan Jackson, and in 2022 commits already, Quinn Ewers and Caleb Burton. But the national ranking for those guys to me isn't as telling in some ways as the in-state ranking for all these guys. Quinn Ewers, obviously, he's the number one recruit in the country. He's the number one recruit in Texas. Caleb Burton is fourth. 14th in the nation makes you fourth in Texas. Donovan Jackson, number three overall recruit in Texas. Jackson Smith and Jigba, the number five overall recruit in Texas for his class. Garrett Wilson, the number three overall recruit in Texas for his class. In 2017, Jeff Okuda was two. Baron Browning was four. J.K. Dobbins was six. Three of the top six guys in a state coming out of there. So that's a place where Ohio State has gone in and just, and not just had success the way they have in California and maybe pulled important guys here and there. I mean, you can argue that the foundation of what Ohio State has done as a national power over the past five years is built on Texas. I think Tom Herman opened the door to Texas when he was Ohio state, but he forgot to close the door behind him when he left to go back to Texas from the moment he got there in 2017, his first recruiting class was that 2018 recruiting class. There have been 22 five stars in the state of Texas and he had seven of them. And when Quinn Ewers flipped, to Ohio State, that went down to six. While Ohio State, as you just named, that long list of guys, I mean, Quinn Ewers is a five-star, Caleb Burden a five-star, Baron Browning's a five-star, Jeff Okuda's a five-star, and on down the list. And we've, and so it, that was the big payoff in 2017 where you saw a multitude of top 100, top 50 guys from Texas, you know, make their way up to Ohio State. And then we saw, again, they kind of, you know, they eased into it. They had a couple guys here or there. Gary Wilson, as you mentioned, but that's an Ohio connection type of guy. Jackson Smith, the Jigba out of there, Donovan Jackson in his 2021 class. And in his 2022 class, for a while, it seemed like there was going to be another major payoff, starting with Quinn Ewers and Caleb Burton. And maybe Imani Winfield would come along. But then Steve Sarkeesian kind of shut that down and started closing that door a little bit. But what it boils down to is Tom Herman was able to have success in ter- and to have some level of success in opening that door in Texas that other assistant coaches at Ohio State had been able to take advantage of because he didn't close the door when he left. And so it's interesting to see as Steve Sarkeesian goes about things, whether he ends up flipping Quinn Ewers or not, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. And part of the reason I don't, I don't think he will is one, Quinn Ewers has come out multiple times and basically made it, 
made it clear that there's no chance of flipping me. I want to come to Ohio State. But also, he's kind of moved on here. Malik Murphy out of California. That's a guy where if USC locks in that guy, that's when you know it's real. When you're you're really shutting down your your state is when you can keep the five-star quarterback home. And especially in California when there's a multitude of them, when you have a guy like Malik Murphy, number 30 player in the country, the number three, three pro-style quarterback in the country if you lock that down now it's serious the fact that Steve Sarkeesian who has a California roots he's from California he was a head coach at USC for a while he's going he's going that way now he's going to get that five-star quarterback to be his his future starting quarterback and maybe bringing CJ Williams out of California with him out of who goes to modern day the same school as you know guys like Damani Jackson and so on so on down the list so it's 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 locking down the state and getting guys like Amani Woodenfield to make sure how state doesn't take that guy too but also him thinking, hey, I'm a national program. Why can't we go raid another state for some top talent as well? Well, since Texas ran off Mac Brown, the Longhorns have won 55% of their games. That's kind of astonishing because that's now getting into a big period of time where they're barely yeah. above a 500 program. Um, and what's really interesting to me is that, so other than 2017, where again, Ohio State gets Okuda, Browning, and Dobbins. So three of the top six players in the state of Texas. And Texas was not the runner-up for Baron Browning, I know it was, it was Ohio state and Alabama. So he wasn't going to Texas anyway. I don't remember how involved Texas was in either Okuda or Dobbins, but to, to lose all three of those guys. So Texas drops all the way down to 25th in the 2017 class uh, recruiting rankings per the 24 uh, seven rankings that we use, but then 2018, their third, 2019, their third, 2020, their eighth. So they, the, the success that they've been having on the field has not correlated to recruiting success. They've been they've they've been underachieving what the recruiting rankings say that they should be doing. 2021, 17th here again as they're getting into a transition period. But already for 2022, they've got three four stars. All three of their commitments are four stars. So it's very early, but the foundation is there for them to probably have another top 10-ish class this year. But as you said, the, the big change here is Tom Herman is gone, and now Steve Sarkeesian comes in. And th- those are kind of those thresholds that you look at in a program's career where – a change happens, and then now how does Ohio State respond to that? And I look at Texas as a state where Ohio State has made such inroads there and created such a pipeline. I, I don't see Sarkeesian being able to shut that off. Like, it's not going to go dry. And I'm not even talking about Quinn Ewers. I'm talking about 23 and 24 and beyond. I think Ohio State's going to continue to have a presence there, in part because Texas is such a prolific state as far as developing talent. There's There's too much great talent for Texas to take a loan for itself. And if you go look at the, there was a a chart that I'm going to reference later that had broke down like between 2015 and 2019, the states that produced the most blue chip talent and California and Texas were, were ahead of even Florida. uh, But also because there are just more people in California and Texas, it would be Florida and Georgia are per capita the most, but California and Texas just produce the most highly ranked, high school football players that are going off into college. So Ohio State's going to continue to have a a presence there, but I think it is going to be a state where it's going to be harder, maybe not impossible, but harder to do what they did in 2017 or even to, other than 2018 with Baldwin, I mean, 2017, 2019, 2020, 21, 22, regardless of what Quinn Ewers does, as long as they get one of Ewers or Burton, they're getting a foundational kind of player in every recruiting class out of Texas. And I don't think, I think that's going to be tougher to do on an annual basis, but it's not like that's going to dry up completely. I think Ohio State's going to keep having success there. It's just a matter of what degree. Especially at wide receiver, because these Texas wide receivers keep coming to Ohio State and they're ready to go. I mean, think Garrett Wilson in 2019. I mean, he's making freaky catches in the spring game and that translates over to the Fiesta Bowl. 
and we see what he was in year two, and it, we should expect the same from him in year three. Jackson Smith, the Jigba, of those four top 100 freshmen they got, was clearly the most ready. And if if one of them were to break out in year two, it just seems like he's in a better position to do so. More games, I mean, he just seemed – he got the, more, the most snaps out of those, out of those four guys, one of which is no longer here in Mookie Cooper. And then Caleb Burton, because of what Jackson Smith, the Jigba, and Garrett Wilson have already done, and he's that same type of body type and can do some of those same things – it's almost as if you have the same expectation for him when he gets here next year that he's going to be ready to go day one. That's just because of the offenses that they played down there in Texas. These wide receivers are a little bit more college ready. So you should expect the same from Caleb Burton when he gets here as a true freshman. It, it seems like there's a combination of Brian Hartline that, that plays – Brian Hartline being just a, a good wide receivers coach, but also it seems like maybe he specifically has some relationships down there that that seems to be kind of connecting right now where he might specifically be able to kind of keep that going. But the, the, the flip side of that is Sarkeesian, you would think, is going to start putting up some pretty prolific offenses at Texas that is going to maybe try to convince some more of those guys to stay home. That, that'll be interesting to watch. How much of it is, you know, we're going to lock down some of these wide receivers in Texas, but also how, how is he going to use those California roots? There's some good wide receivers out there as well, but it all boils down to quarterback. Uh, who, let's see who, what type of quarterback he can land and everything else can stem off from that. That is the other interesting side of it, that Sarkeesian might be looking west and thinking like, oh, you know what? I mean, we've got to fortify things here at home, but I've got roots over here that I can maybe pull some guys from and, and make a difference in Texas. I think that's an interesting thing to keep an eye on. So that's the foundation. That, that was what kind of started this conversation for us. But then the second half of it um, is where does Ohio State look next? If things are going to be tougher in California and Texas, is there somewhere else and there's, there have been other places around the country where I think this applied to. You know, they've had some success in Missouri in recent years. They've had some success in the Pacific Northwest in recent years. Are there other regions where somebody is vulnerable and where Ohio State might be able to pull some, some big guys out in the next few years um, or, start, or, or kind of start to just increase its recruiting presence? And we are going to delve into that conversation after this break on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk. We were talking about Ohio State's sort of regional presences in recruiting and where the next ones might be. And I gave it to Stephen. I thought we should Mike, each pick three places that we thought Ohio State might be able to make some inroads in, in the coming years. And I'm going to throw one at you. I want to see if you can guess which program I'm talking about because there was one or which state I'm talking about because there was one that really jumped to the forefront of my mind. And I think it's a place where this trend has already started. So this program, the, the best program in this state, I'll say, um, had won 10 or more games every year from 20, 2004 to 2011. It played in the national championship game back in 1999, so we're like 20 years away from this team being at the apex of college football. But then beginning in 2012, it's gone 67 and 49, so that's a 57.7% winning percentage. It's only had one 10-win season in that span and has had five seasons of six or more losses. Not losing seasons, because a lot of times they would go to a bowl game and win. So a lot of like seven and six type seasons. And the last three years, the, the, what I would consider the best program in the state, I think everyone would, has gone six and seven, eight and five, and five and six. Do you know what program slash state I'm talking about? Uh, I would say, I, I think the state is Virginia. It is the state of Virginia. That was yeah. Virginia Tech that I was talking about. It was on my list it, as well. Okay, good. I thought I think we're going to have some crossover here. Yeah. And people, I think, if, if you're new to college football, if you've maybe only – I know we may have some younger listeners. So I don't know if you've only been following college football for the past 10 years, if you don't have some concept 
of the time when Virginia Tech, they weren't, I guess, a, a consistent national power, but this was like a top 15 program, no question, for a while. They were, you know, Michael Vick was there. That's when they were at the, really at their peak. But but, uh, but Frank Beamer had really good teams for a long time. And that it, it sort of started to peter out at the end of his time. And then really since then, um, again, now we're going back almost a full decade now. They've kind of just been a very ordinary program. So Virginia was one of the number one. It was really the, the, the program that jumped to the forefront of my thought on this this exercise. And it's not just Virginia. I'm also, as far as like a recruiting area, I'm also including the DMV in that, 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 that greater uh, Washington, DC, Maryland, Virginia area. Um, I think that is all part of the Virginia recruiting. What do you want to say? Footprint. If you're trying to, to make some inroads there, the other program in that state of, of consequence is Virginia, but they're not really a program of consequence. They've got 22 and 15 the last three years, and that's really the high watermark for them since the early 2000s under Al That I think of them more like, I mean, what would be an example? Like in Illinois is in the Big Ten, where they're a, they're a flagship university for their state, but for whatever reason, and I don't know if it's because of, um, I don't know what the reason is. I've always thought that, I, I thought, I guess I think of both Illinois and Virginia as being sort of underachieving programs in the same way, as far as being able to take advantage of some of their um, opportunities and, and what they could do. But I, I, here's where I think, so you said that Virginia was also on your list. I think mm-hmm. it's already kind of starting for Ohio State. If you go all the way back to 2018, they pulled a couple guys out of there, Taraja Mitchell, Kayvon Pope. So guys who are going to be important guys in 2021. And then you've got in 2021's class, you've got Trevion Henderson coming out of Virginia and Tyleek Williams. Those are two guys who I think could be, I mean, we know it with Trevion Henderson. He could be someone who is a huge part of this team and you think is probably a multi-year starter and has big things ahead of him in this offense, a guy who could be featured here. And Tyleek Williams too. I think that could be their, their nose tackle of the future for a couple of years and could do a lot of important things here. And I, I feel like the, the inroad has already started there, that that could be a place where they're not going to do like they do in Texas, where you're going to get that many blue chip guys out of there every year. But Virginia produces talent. That DMV area produces talent. And one other factor I want to mention real quick, there's an NFL team in the DMV where a DMV guy went and is now ripping the heads off dudes. Yeah. And I think that's, and he came from Ohio state. And mm-hmm. I think that that chase young factor is something that Ohio state could possibly use Again, it's not like they're going to get three big guys a year out of that state. They're not going to plunder the state, but it could be a, a fertile area, maybe the way like a New Jersey was for a while, to just pull guys of consequence out at a pretty regular basis. So I actually wrote about this over the summer back when we were all really stuck. Well, we're still stuck in the house, but when we were really stuck in the house and we were you know, trying to find 30 million things to write about every single week and about the idea that Virginia could be next. And it was built around the idea of Travion Henderson around that 2021 recruiting class. And this is before Tony Grimes had decided to reclassify to join the 2020 class when he was the number one corner in the 2021 recruiting class. And it was, a situation where Ohio state was in position to land basically four of maybe the top seven players in the state of Virginia. That's Tristan Lee, who ended up at Clemson, the number 11 player in the country, the offensive tackle, then Travion Henderson, the number one running back in the country and Tyreek Williams, who both ended up at Ohio state, the number 10 defensive tackle in the country. And then Tony Grimes, the number one cornerback in the country. And it was starting to trickle over into the 2022 class. So it was no longer just like this thing that happened in 2018, where you went out there and the bulk of your linebacker room came from up for that class came from Virginia. 
you had guys like Sean Murphy, the number one middle linebacker in the country who goes to the same high school as Tyreek Williams and Unity Reed. And then the top two tackles in the country, Gunnar Givens and Zach Rice, both of those guys very high on Ohio State. Gunnar Givens actually didn't want to narrow his list down until he got that Ohio State offer. And it's because he has Ohio ties in, in Southern Ohio. He's, it's, he's really high. And I understand the, the Clemson crystal balls are there, but I also have understood – especially with this 22 recruiting class that unless when you see a bunch of crystal balls go by a kid's name and if they don't jump on it immediately it can cool down Damani Jackson and Damani Winfield are prime examples of that of guys who had multiple crystal balls and ended up elsewhere because it cooled after a while that's how momentum often works and so it starts with those guys it, it, it can very easily turn into a situation where you had 2017 in Texas where yes it was a couple of guys here or there but then maybe there's a class where there's three or four top 100 kids from that state, and they all end up at Ohio State. And that, to me, is the difference. Like, 2018, getting Taraja Mitchell and Kayvon Pope, that could pay off in 2021, finally. I mean, those guys have really paid their dues. We think Taraja Mitchell is going to have a big role, and we'll see where Kayvon Pope fits in. I think we're not sure what's going to happen with Sam Linebacker, and maybe there's some other places he could fit in. But those are two guys who are going to have some presence here. But we're more – and, and Mitchell may especially confound this this year, but they've been more like depth guys, more, you know, special teams and backup guys for the most of their career. But now the guys that Ohio State's starting to get out of Virginia, Henderson and Williams already here for 2021. And then what you're talking about for 2022, again, the, those those two big tackle recruits. And, and then maybe there's some other guys, I don't know, you've got on that you're looking at for 2022, 2023. But like you're starting to get guys who are, foundational frontline like early career starters and stay here and start for a couple years at crucial positions that's where I think the difference starts to get set Virginia is one of those states where I think they get lost a little bit in terms of their importance as far as I know people talk about the DMV but like it's it's they're they're in a really interesting spot because you've got Clemson right there You've got all the teams from the South kind of coming up the Eastern seaboard there and, and probably trying to get in there. The, you know, Florida schools can come up there. And then you've got a program like Ohio state kind of coming up from the, the Northwest and just sort of everybody kind of converging there as a battlefield. And then now you've got what, what Mike Loxley's trying to do at Maryland and, and pull guys out of there. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's going to be a really interesting recruiting battleground here for the next several years, potentially. Yeah, the Mike Loxley thing makes it interesting because he's already started in a little bit to lo- – Joaquin Jarrett, five-star guy who most years is probably leaving that area and going to a powers that be school, and he stayed home to play for, play for Maryland. So that's what makes this interesting is um, – Dwayne Haskins is a prime example of that. He was committed to Maryland. for He's from the DMV area. He committed, committed to Maryland for a long time before flipping to Ohio State. And Chase Young, he, he has a great relationship with Mike Loxley. Obviously, he wouldn't have coached him. But when Mike Loxley first got that job in 20, after the 2018 season, it was a – I remember to, uh, people asking Chase about Mike Loxley and him being excited that he got that job. And it was like, would you – And it, I think somebody even asked him, would you have considered him more highly? It's like, even if they wouldn't have – he wouldn't have coached you. But I'm pretty sure Maryland was in his top three along with Alabama and Ohio State. So the, the Loxley factor makes it interesting. But it is still something to pay attention to because Ohio State seems to just be in – if there's a top 100 guy in Virginia, Ohio State is consistently over these last couple of classes have been on that top, that top five, top ten schools list that these kids put out. And we've talked about this before, too, that, that sometimes – and we've talked about it even in relation to someplace like Penn State. Sometimes all you got to do is get, like, one guy per class if you're Ohio State out of that state, and that kind of keeps that separation there. It keeps that gap there. And I think the best way to kind of keep Maryland where it is, like where you're comfortable with them, like – 
um, just good enough to can, to count as a decent win for Ohio State, but not so good that you're worried about them. I think the way you keep them there is to try to limit where, you know, if you can go into a state like Virginia and get a guy that might otherwise be attainable for Maryland, I think that makes a difference. Now, credit to Mike Loxley, he's going other places. He has connections around the country and they're doing a good job relative to the rest of the Big Ten as far as being able to pull in some of those blue chip guys. So I'm definitely, Virginia, I think is, is, is kind of a fascinating state for me. I'm really intrigued by how that might play out. Who was another state um, on your list that you think could be a, a pretty prominent uh, battlefield or an area that Ohio State might be able to exploit coming up? So this one might be under the same guidelines of how they're going to go about Texas and California going forward. But it's a major talent bed there. But there is a program there who's had some success. But they're not winning. They're not competing for national championships. Even So it's Florida. The Gators this past year, this would have been their year to make the playoff. They haven't been a consistent playoff team, but every year there's talent. Ohio State's kind of down there anyway. Getting with, I mean, Nicholas Petit-Frere is from Florida. Sean Wade was from Florida. But I'm, I'm focusing on – so as the guys I've named here, I'm not talking about those who go to IMG. So Legend Cavazos doesn't fall under this. Uh, Teron Vincent doesn't fall under this. Those are IMG guys. Legend Cavazos from San Antonio. He just happened to go. So there, there's nine guys who are from Florida – who have Ohio State offers who are not IMG guys. And one of, one of those guys is already committed to Ohio. Well, there's no nine uncommi- uncommitted guys, and then there's a tenth guy. And really it's this Jacksonville area when you think about a guy like Jaheim Singletary, a five-star corner from that area who has a relationship with Sean Wade and Randy Wade. With, shout out to Randy Wade playing a, a small role in getting that to, and making that happen. But Marcus Crowley from that Jacksonville area. Uh, 2018, they had some guys from that Jacksonville area. So I just think that's an area where – Florida is good, and they're going to get some guys to stay home, obviously. But Ohio State, it's you can play at Florida, and you can compete in the SEC, and maybe you get past Alabama, and maybe you don't, or maybe LSU jumps up and they jump over you in the standings for Ohio for the in the SEC pedigree there, or come to Ohio State, where you've seen guys from the Jacksonville area, from that Florida area, come up and have success and turn into first round draft picks and top one hundred NFL draft picks. So I just think that's an area where they're going to be able to kind of have the the to pick and choose from these five star and top 100 guys even if it's not blatant and they have a class where they have six or seven guys from the state ever again like they did a couple of years ago where they but they can still go in there and have success yeah it was funny as I was looking back through the seasons like back to that 2018 class it was ranked number two in the country um the the top of that like those the top three guys in that were all Florida guys, right? It was Nicholas Petit Frere. It was um, who am I forgetting? Tariq um, Johnson. I forget his name. Tariq Johnson and uh, was Tron Vincent the other one? He was. Yeah, and and, and him being a um, an IMG guy. guy. So it, so again, and then as it played out from beyond that, though, Ohio State. I, I thought that it wasn't that they didn't have a presence in Florida, but it did seem to to trickle back a little bit from there, right? Like, and and it has been, I think, centered around the IMG guys. And what what I am interested in is whether it starts to then, like, as you're saying, kind of expand beyond those IMG guys. But that IMG presence is still, I think, important too. It, it's, it's, it's a combination of both. Like, it's good that they have that pipeline right now at IMG. Um, but at the same time, I think if you can expand that, if you are taking advantage of a lull at Florida, although they, I mean, Florida, it's almost more like what does Florida do going forward? Because they've been right there on the cusp, too. I mean, they were a team that was in that playoff conversation for a time this year, Well, obviously for, for most of the season, um, complaining that they weren't in it at the end in some ways. <laughs> and um, like they're right there on the fringe 
of, of being a team that should be a national power. And it's just a matter of do they make that bump and get up there and maybe grow in prominence or do they recede a little bit? And then also what happens with Florida State? I mean, that's mm-hmm. the other team here is that Florida State should be a, a bigger player than they are right now. And they've been sort of floundering for a while from a time that's the one like if what, everything I was saying before about Virginia Tech, if you're if you're especially young, you you really don't have a, a probably a good vantage point on how Florida State almost kind of dominated the sport for a while. I mean, they were right there at the top of just the flagship college football programs like my whole youth. Right. Like really preceding you a little bit, but you probably even remember it a little bit. So like, if, if they can get something back towards that reputation. I think that's uh, that makes it tougher in the state. But right now, as both of them are kind of at a lull, I think there is a an opportunity there for Ohio State. It's one school trying to fight off basically the rest of the country. And it's a little easier to do that when basically Florida State and Florida, and even Miami, you can throw them into there as well. When those three schools are pretty much divvying up the talent there, it's probably a little bit harder to get a kid to – convince him to leave that state when he's got three options to choose from when it comes to I can go to four, I can go to three schools who have historically had some times where they've competed for national championships but when it's only one of them and there's 85 scholarship spots some of those kids are going to leave the state you know that's where Ohio State can take advantage of it especially with Florida State being down right now and Miami kind of being a a middle-of-the-road team to for a, a there's no really nicer way to put that now Florida is obviously a little a tier higher than that there may be in that third tier of college football but they're not they're clearly not on the tier that's competing for national championships on a consistent basis right now and again florida just being one of those states where ohio state has to have a recruiting presence because that's where all the best recruits in the country are i mean it's 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 california it's texas it's florida and it's georgia those are the four most populous states as far as producing like just annually college football talent like that's Mm -hmm. it's robust a lot of them come out of there they're always going to have to have a presence there do you think the urban meyer factor in the future has any impact here? Maybe. I think less of an impact because I don't know how much he's going to spend his time trying to help Ohio State rise down there. I think he's got a pretty lofty job to do in Jacksonville. As his own. I, I, yeah, I don't mean as far as like he's not obviously actively going around uh, shaking hands and kissing babies on Ohio mm-hmm. State's behalf. It's more just if he goes down there and has success, Does it? Is there any residual – like impact any connection back to Ohio state that kind of spreads in that state. I think it's a small one just because, I mean, he's urban Meyer and that's always, that's a shadow that's not ever going to go away. Now it's not, it's not, it's not as large as it used to be. Ryan Day is clearly his own man at this own at this point, but it, it, it's sure. I, I think it's got this small amount of effect, but it's never going to be a thing where we can point to, I don't know if there's ever going to be a situation where you go that kid's here because of urban Meyer, even if urban Meyer never talked to him, you're never going to attach urban Meyer to a kid who goes down there, but it is an interesting, you know, wrinkle to have the fact that they've had some success, in, especially in that Jacksonville area. Um, Trinity uh, Christian is the school where a lot of these kids come from. That's where uh, Tyree Johnson's from. That's where Sean Wade's from. That's where Mar- Marcus Crowley is from that, it, it may be a small, a small amount just because it's Urban Meyer. So another team on my list um, before we take a break is a team that I thought it has some similarities to Virginia. It's not a, t- a state that produces talent at the same level as Virginia, but it, it's in the same region. And it's had a similar um, probably at actually even worse, I would say, trajectory uh, as, as Virginia Tech has had for its flagship university. So this was a, a team, a team won the 1998 national championship here. And as recently as 2001 was a top five team at the end of the season. 
They were a perennial top 10 team for a long time under a couple of coaches. But since that second coach's last year in 2008, they've had eight out of 13 losing seasons. You're already smiling because I think this team's on your list. They've had, they've had two top 25 finishes, but they've, they've peaked at number 22. And the, the cherry on top of all this is they're about to get slammed with recruiting sanctions, yeah. we think. And that state is Tennessee. Yep. Uh, it's, it's a, it, and it's, you know, we don't have any update on the Al Washington situation as of we're recording this on Thursday morning. We will probably delve into that when Doug gets back in the mix for the Saturday podcast. I think we sometimes we add things on if we find out things later, but I think this is going to be all recruiting. Come to cleveland.com slash OSU or get the text. And uh, I've already texted about it this morning, the latest that we've heard, um, 614-350-3315. But one of the reasons why we speculated that this might not be a great fit for Al Washington right now is because the situation there is very tenuous. They've just made a coaching change, getting rid of Jeremy Pruitt, bringing in Josh Heupel, they're in flux. They're, they're figuring things out. They're, they're rebuilding, and they're trying to set up their foundation for what's going forward. So I understand why they'd want to go get someone without Washington's reputation, both as a developer of talent and a recruiter of talent. But there are a lot of reasons to think that this is not going to be uh, settled for a while. There are reasons to think that Tennessee's ability to sign recruits is going to be a little bit compromised now. Because of that, you would think that they would probably fold in a little bit, right, and and go especially hard at guys in-state as being maybe the easiest guys to keep. But I think it also says that this is one of those states, too, where if, if there's a blue-chip guy, he may be more attainable for Ohio State than he has been in the past 5, 10, certainly going back 15, 20 years when those guys might have just absolutely stayed at home. I think those guys are more attainable. And Ohio State has already started dabbling in that state. Uh, 2018, they got Master Teague and Max Ray out of there. 2019, Cormonte Hamilton. 2021, Andre Turrentine. Like, those guys aren't, like, all Big Ten guys at this state. Well, actually, Master Teague has been. He's been a second yeah. or third team All-Big Ten guy because of opportunity. But they're not, like, guys you're looking at as, like, first-round draft picks. But all guys who I think could be in the mix. I don't know about Max Ray as early as this year. I don't know if that opportunity is there for him because of how – stack they are at offensive line talent but other guy like Carmonte Hamilton could he be a guy who plays a lot of snaps this year we know Master Teague will like they're getting important guys out of Tennessee already so there's already a bit of a foothold it's just a matter of um is it something they want to expand so I was laughing because uh, yes they, it was also on my list but also just because your theme of teams who have won national championships in the 90s and now it's like, it's a where are, they, where are they now situation. It's just, I like this theme you have going on here. Well, and it was kind of, the, it's kind of the Texas US, USC it thing. Yeah. Except it's, it's a different level of state as far as how yeah. much they produce, as far as talent. They're smaller states. They're not as prolific as California and Texas. And you're talking about a, a different gap too. Um, the, the, I feel like the, the USC, Texas thing was a little bit more recent than these schools we're talking about, but go ahead. Yeah, I think the interesting thing with Tennessee is after talking to some people for a story I'll have on a certain Tennessee recruit coming next next week. Um, <clears throat> I, it's not as I think with Texas and USC and even we can throw uh, the Florida, Florida, state of Florida in this as well. There doesn't seem to be as much of a a a wow factor with kids wanting to stay home and play for the home big time school like with California and when things are healthy California kids want to go play for USC Texas kids want to go play for Texas even Ohio kids want to play for Ohio State it doesn't seem like that's as large of a 
that has as much of an impact with with kids in Tennessee and maybe because it's a little bit more spread out. So if you're not directly in line to Knoxville, then you're probably not thinking about it nearly as much, but that's a whole other thing for itself. But in this 2022 class, they've don't, they've, Ohio has only offered two people, but they're both really high on Ohio state. One of which is going to put their top 10 out by the time a lot of you guys hear this on Friday. And that's Walter Nolan, the number two player in the country and the number one defensive tackle in the country. And he fits a need for Ohio State as a nose tackle. That's what he projects out to be. That's what his coach has said that he best plays, but he can play anything. But he's he is built 6'4", 300 pounds and still growing. He is built to be a five-star version of Tommy Togiai, which, I mean, Tommy Togiai was a top 100 recruit who was pretty good in 2020. Imagine if uh, – so, so to say somebody who can, can project that to be better than that at that nose tackle position for Ohio State if he decides to come to Ohio State, it's probably a ridiculous thing to say, but that's the truth of the matter there. So he fits the need of a nose tackle, but also it's an opportunity for Ohio State to join some rare company, as I wrote on Thursday, uh, to have the number one – offensive player in the class and a number one defensive player in the class. Ole Miss has done it. Texas has done it. And most recently, Clemson did it with Trevor Lawrence and Xavier Thomas in 2018. But the difference there was those guys were one in seven, one in four, one in three. With this, this is Ohio State. They're going to get Quinn Ewers, who would, who's already the number one player in the country and the number one quarterback. And if they land Walter Nolan, now that decision is not coming anytime soon. So don't think that he's going to put his top 10 out. And in three weeks from now, he's going to be, a, he's going to commit somewhere. But if they were to land Walter Nolan, that's the number one and number two player in the country, which would be a, that's never happened before. And so that would be a huge haul. So to that point, with Tennessee, it will never be a massive fall. But when you get a Walter Nolan of the world or even a Dallin Hayden of the world who's high on Ohio State, when you're looking for another running back, if you can pluck in this guy or that guy, these top 300 kids every so often where if kind of, if that kid decided to stay home and you can – for Tennessee, getting a guy like that to stay home once or twice during a cycle could mean a, putting together a big-time year one, two or three years from now where maybe you have a season where you go try to compete for a national championship. While with Ohio State, that's just adding to what's already a rich class. And Tennessee is an interesting state to me because it's really not that far away. I mean, to go to drive to Nashville is not a, a terrible no. drive from Columbus. Um, it, it's very manageable. And and I think that's that's what's interesting to me is that if, if you get a guy like Walter Nolan, like if he's looking at where he wants to go to school, even if you have really strong in-state ties, looking at what's ahead of Tennessee, what are the – like how minuscule are the chances that Tennessee would be in a playoff conversation in your career in the next five years like it's just not going to happen I don't think they're already they're too far down right now they're not really competing at all in the SEC and we don't know how bad they're about to get hit there could be a period where they're not even eligible for the postseason there could be an el a period where their scholarships are limited you don't know what's about to happen there's going to be some repercussions I think so all those things together I think if it's these blue chip guys for this in this next window and Tennessee produces enough of them they produce enough guys of, of consequence that if Ohio State can just jump in and, and grab the ones that they really need. I think that's the important part, too. Like we talked last week, we broke down what are the remaining big priorities for this class. And I had defensive tackle, I think, number one on my list. And he would obviously fill that if they could get it. Um, and if, if they could just go in and pull that, – that's the important thing, I think, to remember. It's not necessarily that you're going in and just getting a swath of guys every year. Sometimes it's you need this one guy. He's the one guy that fits it the best. And the – in-state school, which should be a power, can't really do anything to stop you from going in and taking them. Um, I think that's what sets us apart. We're going to take another quick break here. We're going to come back and finish our lists of states where we think Ohio State may be able to go in and snag some dudes here on Buckeye Talk. 
All right, so Virginia and Tennessee were both on our lists, and now maybe I'm wishing that we uh, we had gone more than three because we're, we're overlapping so much. <laughs> well, who else w- was on your list as a state where you think Ohio State might be able to make some noise? So I, that, my, my three were Tennessee, uh, Virginia, and Florida, but I did have a bonus one just because I, it's intriguing to me to see what happens here, and it depends on a lot of different factors. This school might be hit with some – some, some sanctions they might not be but some they have some off the field issues and they Ohio State's never had a presence there and it's because at LSU they're constantly good enough that they can keep all that Louisiana talent home and I'm not including Jair Brown as Ohio State's first look into Louisiana because that's an Ohio kid who just happened to be living in Louisiana same as Garrett Wilson and Donovan Jackson who were Ohio kids who just happened to be living in Texas and obviously now Jair Brown's back in in Ohio I, I am interested to see if, if, if the hammer comes down on LSU and they're out of the race when it comes to competing, they maybe lose some scholarships and whatnot. Does Ohio State at least try it? They've never done it before, and they've never they, – I mean, it's not, not hurt them that they haven't been in LSU and but haven't been in Louisiana. But if Louisiana gets hit with things that we think they're going to get hit with, would Ohio State try it just for the sake of let's see what happens? It, it, no harm, no foul. It's, it, we put a little bit of energy here to see if there's a feel of if any of these kids want to come up here. That's, that, that was, that's the intriguing one to me where I didn't want to put too much energy into it, but I am interested to see how some sanctions would impact some of these powers that are being college football and how they approach that state. So that was like my honorable mention. Yeah. Um, it was Louisiana. It's, it's not just Louisiana. It's Mississippi, too, uh, because of the amount of talent that's produced there. And that, that chart that I was referencing before, um, I can't remember the source of it. I think it might have just been something that people cobbled together from the, from the blue chip rankings. But um, Mississippi and Louisiana ranked fifth and sixth in blue chip recruits in that 2015 to 2019 period. So if you mash them together, now they kind of jump up to being – like a, a state like a Florida or Georgia almost, like as far as the number of blue chip guys they're producing, probably still a little bit below that. But still, if you, if you look at just kind of either side of the Mississippi River as one state, that, that's, that's a big region of producing real college football talent. Like now most of it stays in the South. Most of it goes to LSU or Alabama, or you could probably even got Texas coming over and stealing those guys. But it, it feels like a really fertile area to me. And I agreed with you that it's a place where I'm keeping an eye on Louisiana. Ole Miss is already like Ole Miss hasn't had a winning season since 2015. Um, Mississippi state kind of just dabbles as far as whether it's going to be prominent or not. Those are two States that um, have had some recruiting problems of their own, recruiting sanctions of their own, some scandals of their own. And that, and, and I, I don't know why they don't more consistently perform other than maybe they're in the sec and it's hard. Now you got Lane Kiffin down there now, so maybe he can get in and make some inroads and 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 keep some of that talent home and, and put up some barriers. But I agree with you that it, it seems like an area where if things trend the wrong way for LSU, and they already have in terms of the results, immediately dropping from 2019 to 2020, it was like borderline chaos at times in 2020. If they don't start winning again, and they've been one of the more even before they won the national championship, they pretty consistently won before they hit that like incredible peak in 2019 with Joe Burrow. But if they start to flounder a little bit, I do. I agree with you. I think that's an area where, again, maybe it's surgical strikes or maybe it's where they go in, set up camp for a couple of years, really pull in some dudes and then get out before whoever succeeds Coach O. It's too bad Doug's not here to do the Coach O voice. Whoever succeeds him puts things back in the right direction. This is all hypothetical, assuming things go this bad. But, but it seems like a place where Ohio State could make some noise. 
and to this point of having a presence in Louisiana or a lack thereof, Ohio State hasn't offered a kid from Louisiana since the 2020 recruiting cycle. They haven't landed a kid from Louisiana since since 2008 or Abdallah. And before that, it was Jonathan Wells in 1998. And those are the only two guys. And Jair Brown was the third of that before he became an Ohio kid again. So we're only two guys have ever come from Louisiana to come up to Ohio State. But they haven't needed that state in order to have success, obviously, for the last 20 years. But it'll be interesting to see if they try it. So the other school on my list, and this was kind of a distant third for me, or other state on my list, I should say, although it directly relates to the school that's there. It's a little bit more fringe because it's not a state that produces blue chip talent at the level of these southern states. Um, in fact, they, on that chart I was referencing, they were 12th, which is just a little bit behind Ohio State, but actually pretty far ahead of Pennsylvania. It, it's, I, I thought maybe Pennsylvania would be the answer to this, but I don't think they right now are producing enough great talent for, for it to really make a difference. And Ohio State's already doing pretty well there. It's the state of Michigan. And you've got a situation there where you have a combination of the uncertainty of Jim Harbaugh going forward and what already is a clear gap between the programs that I think Ohio State could maybe exploit, again, when it comes down to getting a guy of consequence. They've already – and it's, it's kind of surprising that they don't get more guys out of Michigan than they do already. Um, in 2020, they got Cameron Martinez and Grant Tutant both out of Michigan. But it's not necessarily a state where they pull a lot of guys out of. And I think it's, it's, it's maybe a reflection of once you recruit at a national level and then you're pairing it up with those in-state guys, those sort of like um, th those like heart of the team kind of guys that you try to get and keep here for five years, then I don't know that there isn't necessarily room to pull that same guy out of Michigan. And I, I feel like if it becomes, even though it's very close, if it's a choice between do I want this guy ranked uh, 384 um, out of Ohio or do I want this guy ranked 324 out of Michigan, I'm probably taking 384 out of Ohio because of that connection. And if that guy has to be here five years in a support role and maybe not have a, an opportunity to late in his career, like we talked about on, on Thursday's pod, with the, the fifth year seniors, that guy's more likely to stick around sometimes if he's from Ohio state. So I think it's an, uh, there's an opportunity here. I, I, the, the hesitation I have is, as we talked about a couple weeks ago on this pod, they did just sort of revamp this coaching staff. And if these guys come in and have success and start maybe locking the state down a little bit, that's going to be even tougher for Ohio state to get in there, but it's, it's already happened in a weird way. And it's not the guys Ohio state is, taking out of Michigan it's the guys Ohio State's leaving for Michigan that are almost making the difference for me right now like it's it's like um oh you want like you guys are really excited about that running back well he was like third or fourth on our list or uh, you guys are really excited about this quarterback well we didn't take him because we got the other guy like now maybe those decisions hold up maybe they don't but it's it's already kind of happening where even when Michigan has recruiting success and like wins over Ohio State it's not really a win it's not even it's not even like Ohio State's a forfeit it's just like a no contest like, Ohio State just, you know, whatever. Like, we're going to send the okay. JV team to play that game, and we're not even going to count it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, we got what we wanted. You can have those crumbs. We're, we've, we've eaten already. And to that point, it would be interesting. They've only offered three three guys in the 2022 class, but the one that's important here is Will Johnson, the five-star cornerback, the number four corner, number eight player in the country. Obviously, there's been talk he wants to play with Demonte Jackson, which if he wants to do that right now, that means he's going to commit to USC. But – there, he was here 
he was in Columbus the week that they were supposed to play Michigan, walking around doing the, the fake visit thing. The, the visit with quotation marks around it. Um, but that, that was interesting because his father played at Michigan. He played defensive back at Michigan, Deion Johnson, in the 90s. And so it, that would literally fit that description you just painted, where it's we want the five-star kid. So we're going to – he's going to come with us. I know he's got he, – he's probably – he's a Michigan legacy, but he's going to come with us. And he's going to develop the way that defensive back should develop. He's going to compete for national championships. And you can have the other two guys because, well, the, the positions they play, Joshua Burnham, he's a – four-star kid, a number one 14 player in the country, but you've got three top 100 outside linebackers. You don't need that guy. Dylan Tatum, a, the 246 best player in the country as an athlete, you don't need that guy because you've got Desan McCullough, who's an athlete who can do a lot of different things for you. So to that point, if they were to get Will Johnson and then allow Michigan to keep those other two home, it would fit that description exactly where it's like, we want the steak, you can have the, the chicken fingers. I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it. If, you're, if those parents listen to this podcast, I'm sorry. It's less of a joke on your kid, more of a joke for Michigan. It's not the difference between steak and chicken fingers. It's sometimes it's a difference between like a filet mignon and a ribeye. Because they're all pretty good players. Yeah. Or like a McRib. Well, like it's like the McRib from McDonald's, which is a pretty good sandwich, but then like actual good ribs off of a, a grill. Uh, again, and – <laughs> in true Buckeye talk fashion, the last hour of this podcast will now be about the McRib. Um, no, just kidding. But I, I, although I do love the McRib. Um, but you're talking about a different food substance altogether, really. I mean, the McRib is just yeah. – I, I, I have, I have a, an old friend named uh, Wet Moser who wrote a, a piece about this. I think other have about the history of the McRib and, like, why it's only – it only is sold at certain times of the year because – it's basically made out of just leftover – I'm ruining the McRib for people. It's, like, made of leftover – I'm not ruining it for you, I guess, because you're vegan now, so you can't eat the McRib. But, like, right. it's made of just, like, leftover parts of, I, I, I guess, the cow? <laughs> like, some, some animal or, or <laughs> pigs or whatever. And if they only – so they buy it because it's just the leftover parts. If they were to have it on the menu all the time, they would have to buy more of it, and it would drive the price of it up, and it wouldn't be as lucrative for them. So – it's because it's just like made out of like lips and toenails or whatever that, uh, and it's delicious and I'll go buy one today and eat it if, if I could. Um, but it's I'm like just, a football it's player just a who, history lesson for you of the McRib. Right there. It's like a football player who's got like a package, but she's, and he's not your starter. You just put him out there. So again, all I'm saying is like, I disagree. <laughs> I don't think it's like comparing the ribs to the McRib. I like mine a lot better or let's take it out of food. So we're not like completely, uh, I was going to be mean for a second. People um, it's like, it's like comparing a, um, it's like the difference between flying first class or flying in coach where nobody is sitting in the middle seat next to you. That's Still pretty good situation. Yeah. And there's That's advantages fair. to the second one because it was cheaper, but it's not first class. That's I don't know, fair. but I, I just, it's, it, we're talking about the same thing here that it's, it's, so what I'm, I just feel like Ohio State has number one. It can it can take advantage of the fact that we still don't know, and nobody who's being recruited by Michigan knows if Jim Harbaugh will be here at the end of the next season. I think things are still that tenuous, regardless of the extension and the way that was reworked. That still seems like unless they win, unless Ohio State, unless Michigan goes in and wins in some capacity, starting really in 2021, I think they have to reverse things from the trajectory that started this past year. And if they don't, I think it, it is a problem. 
because then I think it makes them more vulnerable, not just to Ohio State, but really to anybody. Then you start, people can come in and start saying, hey, it was one thing when they could say, well, you're just, you're the one guy that we need to come in and help us finally get past Ohio State. And also remember, it's only been in these last couple of years. I know Ohio State's won however many it is, eight in a row now. It's only been the last couple of meetings that things got really sick and they were really putting yeah. a thumping on them. Before that, it was, it was a more competitive series that Ohio State just was winning in. And I think Michigan could more plausibly argue, like, man, we are right there. Like, if we just had one guy like you, we could – not you, Stephen, but one guy, I'm, the not royal like you that they're talking like to me. the recruits. Um, we just get one guy like you. It can put us over the top. That's starting to get widen now when you're talking about a team that's that's falling farther down the Big Ten. If they can't stay as that number two team in the Big East, if they're not fighting off Penn State for that – and Penn State for that matter, if they're not fighting off Michigan, then I think that just makes them a lot more vulnerable. I agree. I also agree with it is a guy like me that they're missing. So if J.J. McCarthy does not work out, I will do it. I will play quarterback for Michigan. That's, bi- that's big of you. Will you yeah. take a preferred walk-on spot, or do they have to give you a scholarship? Oh, they got to give me a scholarship. Yeah, that might be a problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other guys that they've been playing at quarterback haven't worked either, so why not try it out? Yeah, I don't think you have any eligibility left. Maybe you I can don't. be a grad transfer. Yeah, there we go. If you want to go to grad school? What would you go to grad school in? Um – I don't know. That's a good question. It wouldn't be journalism because that, I mean, I just don't want to know. I already do that for a living. I might go on like accounting or something, just something, you know, to pass the time. No, it'd be something easy. It'd be something where I like underwater basket weaving or something. I don't know that you can get a master's in that. You can get an under, you can get a, a bachelor's in that. I'm pretty sure. I think that that's one of those uh, that gets thrown around there as like the uh, – I think there was probably like one school who had one class in that yeah. somewhere, and now that that gets brought up as like the example of the easy class everywhere. Um, anyway, so that's our that's our little <laughs> breakdown. Those are three states, or I guess it was more than three that we finally didn't mention. That's like five states, five or six states, where we think Ohio State could potentially – if it has to pivot away from California and Texas and the success that it's had there, because those States rise up and lock things down a little bit more. Here are some other States that we think are vulnerable and, and already some guys that Ohio State's going after in each of those States. So make sure you're following Steven, uh, follow him on Twitter, but make sure you get the text 614-350-3315. Come to cleveland.com slash OSU. Um, every day we have recruiting updates every morning, Monday through Friday. There's a, there's a recruiting update of some kind. Sometimes it's Steven writing from a more like columnist standpoint about the trends that are happening. Sometimes it's our, our, our band of correspondents that we have calling across the Midwest and across the country, trying to get a hold of coaches and, and athletes and trying to get little tidbits of what they think about Ohio state, what Ohio state's doing with their class. Really? I mean, every morning we've got something like that on the site and, um, I encourage you guys all to come visit. So that's, I think we're going some, some it's BFFs. We don't know exactly what the F's stand for yet. We're, we'll decide that by next week. We will have a hard decision on what, what the BFFs podcast stands for. But for now, I'm Nathan Baird. He's Steven Means. That was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>